You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, we live. We live. This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Search your podcast app for Locked On to get podcast on the NBA the NFL and fantasy sports. You can follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. We're on the air Monday through Friday, and sometimes we go live on youtube.com forward slash Locked On Hornets. Uh, visit that site and subscribe to us, and you'll get notifications about when we go live. Here from the Gittimer.com studios in BEA, beautiful Uptown Charlotte. I'm Doug Branson, excited to be with you for another week of Hornets Talk. I'm joined by my panel, first from the mean streets of Cotswold. He's been covering the Hornets since they were the Bobcats for AtTheHive.com. The man, the myth, the legend, David Walker. Doug, I don't know what it is with my dial-in. Sometimes my picture comes up, sometimes it's just my name. I'm seeing my picture and also seeing my name. So if you're watching on YouTube, I'm here. Uh, you your name's coming up, so they at least know. know who you are and how your name is spelled. That's right. So that's positive. That's a positive development. Uh, hopefully, uh, you can do a little bit more than our uh, next member of the panel, Nick Denning, did on Friday. Basically, his only job on the Friday show was uh, was to laugh, and I pulled this laugh, Nick. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> that was like your that was your you that was your role. You were a role player on that Friday episode. You were just laughing at the ridiculousness that uh, Steve and I were displaying. Yeah, you know, Steve Steve Bob just has that tendency to uh, to just say some things that, that, you know, make me chuckle a little bit. So, Steve no. Steve Bob. <laughs> <laughs> <God>. <laughs> it's a little weird hearing myself laugh. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, it's totally weird. I love that. Uh, okay, so this episode is brought to you by Frame Warehouse. Uh, they are the best place to get something framed here in Charlotte. They have the guaranteed lowest price on your framing project, and uh, they have been a sponsor of this show for two seasons now, so we want to get the nest out supporting them. So your next framing project, make sure to visit Frame Warehouse. We've got a big show. NBA All-Star, NBA Defensive Player of the Year, Mark Eaton of the Utah Jazz will join us here in a few moments. And uh, we had a great conversation, so great that I had to break it up into two parts. So you're going to hear the first part on today's show. You will hear the second part where we talk about the NBA All-Star Game, his experiences, his thoughts on how the NBA is trying to get this game to be more competitive. We'll have those thoughts from him tomorrow. So you want to tune into both of those episodes. Although, I'm going to post the entire interview on Patreon after this show goes down. So patreon.com forward slash LOH. It's the best way to support this show, and you can listen to the entire Mark Eaton interview before anyone else. All right, let's start by recapping this weekend in Hornets action. The Hornets wrapped up their five-game homestand with a comeback win over the Atlanta Hawks, but then they followed that up with another brutally close loss to the Miami Heat. The Heat beat the Hornets for the fourth straight time this season. They go for the clean sweep. The Hornets now sit six games out of eighth place in the Eastern Conference and play tonight against the Pacers in Indy. David, where is this team in your mind after this weekend? I think the fact that Steve Clifford played 
Kimball Walker, those 41 minutes tells you about all you need to know. And we'll hear a little bit from Clifford, I think, as well, Doug. But And I know we'll talk about that, but it's desperation time. I mean, they're doing anything they can. They're pulling out all the stops. They're really backed into a corner here. Use whatever cliche you want. I just used a couple there. Come up with your own. But uh, they have to get wins any way they can. <clears throat> and it's just going to be, you know, it's going to be tough. When, when they're in these games – Two games against the Heat, two winnable games, and they can't get either one of them. Uh, they're struggling to find ways to win. Nick? Well, you know, I'm glad we don't get to see the Heat again. Um, so that's that's a one positive to take away from this weekend. Um, but you see this kind of how – I don't want to know if, if fragile is the right word. Maybe thin. I mean, you like – Michael Carter Williams goes out, which normally we wouldn't be too, you know, concerned about, right? Um, but you saw what happened. I mean, Malik Monk was not really ready to step in. Um, he didn't play in the second half. Walker had to play the entire second half. And, you know, that might have been the better option, but it didn't mean it was a good option because Walker was gassed by the end of that game. I think went 0 for 6 in the fourth quarter. So, or no, he made no, I think he made at least one, but I think he finished 0 for 6 in the game. So, anyways, not a good spot. Michael Carter-Williams, someone who has been roundly criticized by the fan base and probably fairly so uh, early on in the season when he could not make a layup, was an offensive negative, was a defensive positive, but a lot of people questioning whether that mattered if he could not make a shot or make a layup or contribute in any positive way offensively. He started to improve, and uh, I think he proved his value uh, defensively and just his ability to organize the offense. I think he proved that by his absence in that game against Miami because, uh, yeah, they did have to rely on Kemba Walker so significantly, and Miami knew that. And, and look, Eric Spolstra knows that. He knows that from two seasons back when these two teams uh, faced off in the playoffs. They did the exact same thing uh, a few nights ago that they did two years ago in the playoffs, which is trap Kimball Walker in the fourth quarter on every possession, make him move the basketball, and then just hope that the other players don't shoot well. And you had Nick Batum, awful game. Uh, what was it, 3 of 13 finished? Yeah, 3 of 13, yeah. 0 of 4 from beyond the arc. Did, did finish, uh, no, 9 points, did not finish in double figures, 3 assists, 4 rebounds. That's not going to cut it. You get 20 points and 16 rebounds from Dwight Howard. Uh, Gil Gilchrist uh, puts in eight. Marvin Williams, 24 minutes, two of five from the field, six points. But yeah, this one was all about the bench. And the bench has played well lately, but as we've seen all season from the Hornets, it's one night to the next what's going to fail. And in this one, it, it was absolutely the bench. Uh, Jeremy Lamb and Frank Kaminsky uh, were not playing well offensively, turning over the basketball on offense and not playing well defensively. Malik Monk was unplayable in the second half. We'll talk more about that in a few moments. And then they really couldn't get any contributions out of Johnny O'Brien or Trevion Graham either. Uh, and the Miami bench is just way better. Miami has a playoff bench. Like there's two, there's there's a way to win in the playoffs, and that's to have overwhelming star talent. And then there's a way to to be troublesome in the playoffs, and that's to have players on your bench that present matchup or mismatches on one end of the floor or the other. And the Hornets had that two seasons ago with Al Jefferson and Jeremy Lin. They don't have that this season. Miami has those players that present matchup problems on their bench. They are a deep team. They will cause ish. They're not going to be Eastern Conference champions because they don't have overwhelming star talent, but they'll cause trouble in the playoffs. The Charlotte Hornets have neither of those things. 
That's why I said on Friday that if they could not beat the Miami Heat, that they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. Like we can like we can talk about math and they certainly are not mathematically eliminated. You can look at two seasons ago when they did make the playoffs and their records sort of mirror each other right now. Fine, whatever. That's great. But they don't have they don't have the the players on this roster that they did two seasons ago. They don't have those no. problems on the bench that they had two seasons ago. They are missing things. And that's why I don't think it's fair to necessarily pin all of this on coach Steve Clifford. Because they just don't they don't have the players that they need to be the kind of team that they want to be. The shots are there, Doug and Nick, right? I mean, Marvin right. had a good look at a three in the corner late in that game that could have made a difference, um, and they're just not able to knock them down. I mean, you mentioned the bench. Frank and Jeremy, that's got to be the worst game they've played as a duo I've seen this year. I mean, they were they were flat-out awful across the board. And you look at the guys that the Heat are able to bring in, and Wayne Ellington is having a career year from three. He drills that late three to kind of to kind of wrap it up, and then Olenek. I mean, he's really the guy that when you think about Olenek, Frank, Olenek, yeah, Olenek, Kelly, yeah, you know, <laughs> Kali, Kali, Olenek. <laughs> Either one. Um, by the way, you said did you, did you guys know you Donis Haslam still played for the? <laughs> he's still in that roster. I just saw him listed on this. That's crazy. Um, but 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 like he's the type of guy that Frank needs to be and but he hits these threes at least he does against the hornets i mean he's been able to kill them uh in several areas against you know in both of these games and uh, the hornets just don't have those players and then and then they have bam and, and winslow who just can come in and, and out hustle the other team so they've really got the depth that you yeah. mentioned there dog and, and shot I mean, making do? ball shot movement making. depth the yeah. heat have it the hornets do not and and that's why they are suffering these they have talent the hornets have talent that's why they're in these games, but they can't win these type of games right. because they're not they're, getting blown out. They're missing these pieces. Okay, I don't know if you know this, guys, but this is the absolute best time of the year to get something framed, whether it's a gift that you got over the holidays, a home decoration, or maybe uh, Kimba Walker's alternate, uh, the new Buzz City Knights jersey. I got one of those, got my hands on one of those. By the way, it looks way better when you hold it in your hand than it does in the pic. I wasn't impressed with it in the pictures. Maybe I was in the minority of that opinion, but when I got one in my hands, I really liked it, but I don't wear these jerseys. I put them up on the wall. I use them as decorations, so they'll do that as well. Now is the time to get your framing done and get it done right with our friends at Frame Warehouse. We're proud to partner up with Frame Warehouse because they've been family-owned right here in the heart of Charlotte for over 35 years. They have the guaranteed best price on every framing project. At Frame Warehouse, you can frame almost anything for next to nothing. If you can think of it, you can get it framed. We're talking about Kimba Walker alternate jerseys, sports memorabilia, posters for your office, maybe your kid's bedroom. Uh, the best part is that Frame Warehouse makes the whole process super easy on you. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to anything, I need easy. Frame Warehouse has framing experts that will walk you through the process and turn your project around quickly and for an amazing price. Don't let your prized possessions go undisplayed. Talk to our friends at Frame Warehouse at one of their six locations right here in Charlotte. Go to framewarehouse.net, framewarehouse.net to find the one nearest you and tell them Locked On Hornets told you to drop by and give them a go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Frank's off Twitter or whatever, and, and Nick... Batista He's playing well. Every, okay, that's it. Ban everybody off Twitter. 
Everybody. Everybody on social media. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Got a lot of listener questions, a lot of comments, both to our email, buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com and Twitter. After that loss against Miami, the, the fans are upset. They are distraught. They want answers. They want the truth. And and I don't know if they can handle the truth, David, but we will try to our best, and Nick, uh, to give them uh, what we feel like the truth is. First up, Danny on the chat writes in saying, I feel like playing Kimball Walker 41 minutes on the second night of a back-to-back was haphazard. The guy has had th- knee surgeries three years in a row. Was there no other solution than to play him the entire second half? Nick, was there another solution that Steve Clifford had in his – another arrow in his quiver? I mean, not in his mind. I mean, we could say like, oh, give Monk another chance. Maybe he plays better in the second half. Play Julian Stone and see, you know, what he can do. But, I mean, I don't think anyone here would realistically believe that those, you know, were – viable options mm-hmm. um, again I, I said this earlier playing Kemba Walker the entire second half was not a was not a good option either but you know it, which of the of the options that would potentially lessen the you know lessen the chance that they lose that game or give up a lead um, playing Walker was I guess that option listen they they're, they're trying to make the playoffs right I mean yeah. they're trying to win any game they have the game was close and uh, they they had a second half lead like you, you stick with the guys who are playing well. You go with the hot hands at this point. And this is what Clifford was staring at. He played the full bench unit with Malik Monk at point guard for the injured Michael Carter-Williams for seven minutes from the 130 mark of the first quarter to the seven-minute mark of the second quarter. The Hornets go 3 of 11 from the field. The Heat go 8 of 11. The Hornets get outscored 20 to 10. Malik Monk was 0 of 4 from the field. He shoots a jumper off a J-O-B drag screen. That was a miss. He makes a nice back cut to get himself a wide open mid-range shot. That's a miss. That's a that's a shot that a shooter, and Malik Monk is a shooter. That's that's his skill. That's a shot he has to hit. He doesn't hit it. And then he gets knocked down on a drive and is slow to get back. That leads to a Miami transition dunk. He completely messed up an inbounds play on his very first possession in the game, and that led to his man, Josh Richardson, getting a wide-open layup. So yeah. honestly, like I'm the same as Nick. Like I don't know what you want. Like yeah, he, he made he, he made mistakes on defense and couldn't hit shots on offense. How do you play, how can you play that guy if you want to win the basketball game? Yeah, and Clifford's playing his reliable bench guys and Lamb and Kaminsky, and it goes to hell anyway. Like. What kind of confidence does he have that he can put anybody else in there in that game when they're working with the lead, when they're trying to close the game out? Kimball Walker is clearly the best player. We all know that, and we all know the difference that he makes when he's on the floor. They've got to try and get wins however they can. If that means playing Kimba, you know, a bunch of minutes uh, one night when a game is on the line, and I think he's going to do that. David Scott writes in, as aggravated as I and many others are with this team, in reality they rarely get blown out and are in most games. I think that's something to keep in mind come True. trade deadline. Perhaps some lateral moves for defense or shooting could be a tipping point. Do you do you agree with Scott? Maybe make some are there small adjustments that they could make at the trade deadline? Is there is this a one I mean, or two piece solution? Well, it depends on where you're trying to get to. I mean, we, like you said, Doug, they have talent. 
and they're not getting blown out in these games. I mean, that's the part of the frustrating issue which watch, with, comes with watching this team. They certainly need more shooting. Um, I would be in more favor of some of these smaller moves if they could pull them off. But, like, as we discussed – But can they, they – the, the question is, David, can they pull them off and not add significant money All right. to the books? That's the pro- – and that's why I think when you heard about these trade conversations that they were having, so much of it revolved around moving a bigger, longer contract because they, they, they not only need a piece or two to set them in the right direction to make a playoff run this season – they they've got to worry. They've always got to worry about financial flexibility. Mm-hmm. So the, yeah. it's it's balancing those two that that really puts them in the difficult position that they are in. I mean, that's what I would like to see. I mean, that's because if they're not going to do the Kimball Walker tear it all down, uh, and we are uh, what are we? T minus ten days. Ten, ten days, right? <laughs> So we'll see if they're not going to do that. I mean, um, then they, they obviously need that shooting. They need to add more athleticism. But like mm-hmm. you said, like what, what, what realistically, what can they do to pull that off and not put themselves in even a worse situation in the long term? All right. On Friday, Steve, Bob and I had a chance to interview an NBA great, Mark Eaton, all seven feet, four inches of him. He has a new book coming out. The Four Commitments of a Winning Team. Uh, Mark Eaton is a former NBA Defensive Player of the Year and an all-star for the Utah Jazz. He uh, shared his journey, or in the book, he shares his journey to and in the NBA and gives some great lessons for business and life. That book, again, The Four Commitments of a Winning Team, you can pre-order it right now on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. He joined us in studio to talk some hoops. Let's take a listen. So I know that the sort of the tail end of your career, you got a chance to play against the Hornets a few times. Do you have any memories of those early Hornets teams? Well, I do. Uh, number one, a couple of our guys we lost in the expansion draft, Del Curry and Kelly Trapuca, that ended up moving out here to Charlotte that originally started with or with, with the Jazz. Well, Del did anyway. And uh, secondly, I think my, my most favorite memory is that one year, I think it was around 91, we, we rolled through here and we were on a back east swing, lost like two or three games in a row, and we're not playing well. And uh, we came into town. And John Stockton happened to mention to Carl Malone just prior to the game that he'd heard Larry Johnson, Grandma Ma, on the radio saying that he was the best power forward of all time. And that fired up Carl Malone. He went out and scored 56 on the Hornets. We win the game. <laughs> and somehow the press got wind of this after the game. And they went to John and they said, John, you know, which, which radio station was that on? He said, oh, I never heard anything. <laughs> so what was Del Curry like in his rookie season? Uh, a great shooter. Uh, he was one of those guys you could just set a pick for him on the baseline and start running the other end of the floor because you knew it was automatic. Once he uh, came out there, caught and turned and shoot, uh, he was uh, he was a tremendous shooter and a great teammate, great guy, and 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 still like him a lot. And, and then that was during a time when when outside shooting was not uh, nearly as in vogue as it is today. Uh, what was the sort of perception of guys with his skill set? I'm sure it was completely different than it is today, where, again, it's just normal. 
Well, it is. And, and again, in our offense, we had him running the baseline uh, and shooting from the corners, which was what a lot of the two guards did back then. If you look back at guys like Rolando Blackman or Dale Ellis, uh, those kinds of players, uh, they uh, they just ran that baseline. And that was kind of their spot. Uh, and so he did that well. And I think over time, it, it advanced more to, to, to moving out a little bit further, like Steph obviously does. But, uh, you know, back then, if you shot 33% from the three-point line, I mean, that was considered really good, and you know now you got guys like the LeBron that are shooting in the you know the mid forties from the three point line, which right. is just simply remarkable. And stepping out two or three feet further out than where within uh, that era as well, and uh, it's become a much bigger part of the game. And the low post game, I think, has has suffered somewhat because of it. What do people not understand about blocking a shot? You know, I mean, I, I think people assume that everyone that's 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 tall, that's seven foot tall, can block a shot but what do people not understand about what goes into blocking a shot well i think a couple things one is that you have to have great leaping ability because clearly i did not have that uh secondly that it is really a game of angles uh and uh, a lot of the shots i blocked were not the player i was guarding you mm. know i looked at the whole area of the key as my zone like if you came in the key you were going to deal with me in fact I, I would say this is my house you know like nobody gets in here that's what i would say before the game and um, so, uh, would you just say that to yourself, or would you like go up to each individual like yeah. this is? I just want to let you know. I just want to let you know this is oh, my house. No, they um, they they, they knew. <laughs> Once they came in, they knew. Good. I was if, uh, even if you didn't address that, I would probably just be understood. Again, yeah. I'll just hang out here and pop yeah, some and then block that shot, and then say, yeah, uh, right. "Hey, take that back home and work on it some more." Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, but that's that's how I that's how I approach the game. So I think the misconception is is that. You know, you're going to block your own man all the time. And, and in fact, being a roving center down there in the paint was really what I, I did best. And the Hornets have a pretty good shot blocker right now. Dwight Howard uh, had six blocks uh, the other night. Uh, and what do you see in, in his game that makes him such an effective uh, shot blocker? Well, I think there's games when he focuses on it more. And, and uh, you know, it's like every other team. You struggle sometimes with defense. The Jazz are having that struggle right now. They've just uh, – they started out the season so well, and now they're kind of – now they've kind of hit the skids for a little bit. Uh, but uh, everything is predicated on making those big stops. And so if you can get your five-man to do that and really take up some space out there – and it's a risk for a five-guy because you're going to get some fouls. I mean, it's just the nature of the, of the beast. But, uh, but Dwight Howard's always had that uh, capability. And I think that's one of the best things that he can do for his team to help help them win. And, you know, Steve Clifford, uh, coach of the Hornets, always talks about uh, when he talks about Dwight Howard's defensive impact, he likes to, to mention that just having him in the paint affects how players drive to the basket Correct. because they don't want to hit that body. No. Did you have did you have that experience where you would you would just sort of there was a ghosting influence between you and that player where that player got near you and said, "No," and made that slight adjustment. Right. And I, I yes, and and I think that was the you know, the greatest uh, feedback I got from another team letting me know that I was that I was effective out there was that the fact that you'd read in the paper the next day of like, well, you know, we had a little trouble with Carl Malone, but we could not run our offense because of Eaton's presence in there. And uh, that made me feel good knowing that I was having that big of an impact on the game. And, you know, you think about how many games are won or lost by four or six points. You know, if you turn to, you know, if, if you've got guys that miss two more shots because of your impact, that can be the difference between a win and a loss. And so I took that 
seriously that, that I, I knew that I had had that impact on the game. And that's why I did patrol the paint in that manner. And it did give players pause to think, well, maybe, I've, maybe I'll pass the ball over here. Or, or they won't just drive in the paint without any idea of what they're going to do with it because I'd make them pay. And so, so many of today's big men, I mean, we, the, the Hornets just got done playing the Pelicans where they have Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, big guys that can draw you outside. In fact, at the end of that, jazz, or at the end of that Pelicans game, DeMarcus Cousins had, uh, had Dwight Howard playing so far from the basket that they were able to drive with impunity. The game has, has changed so dramatically, and I, I, I feel like when I, watch, um, when I watch former players on television, it's sort of split former players in two directions one direction they sort of embrace what's going on they say you know the game is constantly changing it's evolving these players are doing what they're doing and then you have some players that sort of reject today's game they say there there's there's not they're not tough enough in my day we would have smashed them and <laughs> it, those are the charles barkley camp oh, yeah. so i'm so i'm curious when i talk to any former player like what what camp do you fall into well I, I guess i'm probably in the middle of the road on that because i do appreciate the athleticism of a kevin durant or an anthony davis or somebody like that uh, and their ability at that size of over seven feet tall of being able to do as many things as they can athletic. It's, it's amazing. They're like the prototype. Like if you were going to build a player on, on NBA 2K18, you know, like that's the kind of player you would build. Uh, and at the same time, I, I appreciate the evolution of the game. And, and I had the most fun playing during my era when uh, when we said things like, there's going to be no layups today. And if you come in the paint, you're going down. Uh, and it was bang and push and shove. And, you know, I came in the, the league with Bob Lanier and Artis Gilmore and guys like that, as well as Kareem. And uh, and so playing through those guys and on to, you know, Patrick Ewing and David Robinson and Shaq and everybody else and Akeem, uh, uh, that, that was a much more physical game. And, and uh, so... Could I have played in today's era? I don't know. Uh, the bottom line still, though, is that defense wins. And, you know, I was watching the Spurs the other night when they were playing LeBron and uh, and the Cavs during his 30,000-point uh, night, and uh, and here's this big night, and what are the Spurs doing? They're just they're stopping everything in the paint. They're getting, they're getting three, four guys getting their feet in the paint and, and stopping stuff and, and really made it a miserable night for those guys. Do you ever watch – players like LeBron and Dwight Howard and how their their bodies are are sculpted and designed and and you hear about LeBron's training regimen and how this guy is he is built by medical science he's obviously he's got god-given gifts but yeah. they they really work and he works hard to maintain his body do you ever think look at the game today and think like man what if i had had the medical knowledge you know what? Well, what could we have done? Yeah, I mean the the training regimen has become so much more specialized. I mean, I worked out with football guys, right? I did squats and cleans and bench and uh, all that kind of stuff to to get my body stronger when I was playing. And now they've got these highly specialized places. These guys go and spend you know five or six grand a month that during the summer to get that specialized training. Uh, to improve this little aspect of your movement or that little aspect where fast we, twitch, we, yeah, no, fast twitch muscles and all that. <laughs> right, right. Sleep, yeah, ver- versus just we just wanted to get stronger and how could we get faster yeah. and and uh, when we did things kind of old school way from that standpoint. Uh, and at the same time, the, the the training and the the you know the 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 care that's available now in terms of chiropractic and kinesiology and the different things that are out there, um, I think do give players a little bit more of an advantage than than we had back then. But it's again, it's just the nature of the evolution of 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 the game in life. 
All right, big thanks to Mark Eaton there. Again, his new book comes out in April, The Four Commitments of a Winning Team. It's great for anyone who wants to improve their career and or their life. You can pre-order it now on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. There will be a link in the show notes of the podcast version of this episode. And that was part one. We're going to have part two tomorrow where we discuss his thoughts on the All-Star Game. I know David is uh, anticipating that and his experience getting dunked on by Jeremy Evans in the Slam Dunk Contest. I believe that's 2008. Uh, If you want the full interview, I'll have it up on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash LOH. David, Nick, Mark Eaton. I felt a little guilty about scrunching him in this studio because he's huge. (laughs) Oh, oh, David. Yeah, he's muted. (laughs) I was so excited. Sorry. Hey, Doug, were all three of you guys in there at the same time? Was Steve Bob in the room with you? Yeah, Steve Bob was uh, actually sitting on Mark's lap. That's how scrunched it was. Just kidding. No, we we Here's got every we got everyone in here. Uh, you you wouldn't believe. So Steve Bob, I didn't know this, but is was a huge fan of the 1992 Utah Jazz. It's like one of his favorite sure. teams, and he Makes didn't know sense. Mark Eaton was going to stop by the studio, and and to see the look on his face, it was like a kid at Christmas. He was having his dreams come true. So if you hear a quiver in his voice. He, he was truly starstruck by Mark Eaton. <laughs> that's so Steve Bob for that to be his favorite team, by the way. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> um, man, that's crazy that uh, you got that giant man in the in the room with you guys. I'm still blown away by that. But that's, that's fascinating. And kudos to you for not mentioning Donovan Mitchell at all uh, so far. We'll see what happens in part two. One of the nicest people, Mark Eaton, and a real cool dude, and he, he offered some good insights, and I like that he sort of rode the fence on the, the new era, old era. It, it's, I was really I was hoping that he wasn't going to sort of take the Charles Barkley line of that these guys aren't tough enough, that my era could beat their era. He really had a, a great perspective on the game of basketball, that it is so difficult to compare one era uh, to another. So again, uh, tune in tomorrow for part two of the interview. He actually gives a piece of insight on the on the All-Star game and how to make it competitive that has something to do with, with news that we got yesterday. So I'm going to hold that news. We'll talk about it tomorrow, and we'll hear from Mark Eaton, and we'll smash it all together and, and, and make a show out of it. So uh, tune in tomorrow for that. Uh, we're going to come back in just a second and talk about tonight's game, the Hornets facing off against the Indiana Pacers in Indianapolis. Uh, be back shortly. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. Don't sign him to a, a $40 million contract. <laughs> can you shoot? Well, that hold is on, the caveat. If he can shoot, I would, uh, would be good. Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. Lots of people on the nest here on youtube.com forward slash locked on hornets. We've got double M15. What up, nest? We've got Danny on the chat in saying, I absolutely hate Miami. They have a great scheme and a great culture. What they lack in talent, they compensate for in mental toughness and game plan on a nightly basis. Yes, Miami is very frustrating in that way. They've been frustrating for years. Because they find these players, they find these guys under rocks, behind bushes, 
and they bring them up, and they're just these amazing two-way players who love to play defense, and they can shoot the basketball on offense, and then they drag Wayne Ellington in his what? This is his eighth or ninth year, and he's having a Marvin Williams-type resurgence, dragging him out of NBA obscurity and turning him into a storyline this season. Miami they just have they look they've got a real good scouting scouting system they have a great player development system and they have an all-timer in Eric Spolstra. Hey their their G League team uh situation is an, is kind of smart too cuz you know they basically they call these guys up and say look you can play with us in Miami or we can send you back to Sioux Falls South Dakota so you know it's up to you and look those guys play pretty well <laughs> against us uh the Sioux was, Falls threat right Exactly. I mean, you know, it's, it's not, this isn't going to Greensboro. You're just down the road. You can, you can feel Charlotte, you know, in your, you know, behind you or whatever. No, this is Sioux Falls. Do you want the beach or do right. you want Sioux Falls? It's one or the other. Now get out there and play. Yeah. The suit, the Sioux Falls use like the same Miami vice type <laughs> uniforms, like kind of like, like uh, the Flint tropics. Like they have a really colorful Sioux Falls. And I, th- I think the heat had an opportunity to move the team closer to Miami. And they they opted not to. They said, no, we love Sioux Falls. And they probably said, listen, Sioux Falls is great. It's a great city, great culture. But maybe maybe Nick's on to something. Maybe it's about the the threat of Sioux Falls. So maybe maybe it's after one year in Greensboro, the, the Hornets should maybe, they should be the Anchorage swarm. Oh, man. I was wondering <laughs> which city you were going to. Send them all the way to Alaska, the great wide north. You know what's crazy about the heat last thing on this game? Because God knows it was horrible. But um, Hassan Whiteside, it's remarkable to me because when I heard – kind of unplayable. Right. Well, when they were going to build around him essentially, you would have thought that there would be some trouble with that or they'd be more dependent on him or, or they would go as he goes. And it's just a credit to Spolstra and the rest of the team, like Doug said, that they're able to not – yeah, it's, it's, it's bizarre. They, they don't run through him at all. They're not defined by, by Whiteside at, at all, right? They're defined by all these guys running around and, and causing havoc. And, and Spolstra is and the master at that. And a lot of it is matchup-based. I think they they saw – they knew how – effective Kelly Olenek was in that last matchup. They knew they had they had the Olenek. advantage there with Olenek. Yeah, Olenek. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Olenek versus Kaminsky. That's going to be a win uh, for them. Josh, yep, yep. you know, they 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 would they were running some things to get uh to get a few switches to try to get Josh Richardson on Kimba Walker. That worked for them in that last game. That's a matchup win for them when they can get that. I mean, they did. They just have a couple of matchups that really give the Hornets some problems. That that's why you don't you don't want to take so much from this game. But at the same time, there are some problems that the Hornets are going through right now that I think are I don't know if they're solvable through one small trade. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that there's, oh, no. there's some things that need an off season, including performances or lack of performance. From some players that they've, this is why the, it's a whole idea of benching Nick Batum. We get we get tweets like this all the time. Our tweets are are probably twenty five percent bench Nick Batum, twenty five percent fire Coach Clifford, and then fifty uh, percent play Monk. Play Monk, yeah. So <laughs> the the but the twenty five percent bench Nick Batum, like what? 
What do people legitimately think would happen to Nick Batum if if you were to bench him? That he would be that he would be a a better contributor, that he would be happy with that, that he would be satisfied with that. Like you you pay the the more talented players and then you expect them to perform. That's what they need. If they wanted to be a playoff team, they have to have their best players perform and their less talented players play above themselves. Like, again, that's what happened two seasons ago. You had Jeremy Lin playing above what he had played the previous years, except for when he was in New York. I mean, you got you got to have players right. that that are exceeding their expectations, and then have your most talented players play well. And and so that's what I don't understand about the Nick benching Nick Batum conversation. And and, and for the people that would point out lineup stat, stats for Jeremy Lamb in the starting lineup, because I saw I think our our fearless leader David Locke posted some stats and and tweeted at us about those. That happened in games one through eight. Like so much is different about the start of the NBA season. Like like play players and coaches they get filmed, they catch up, they scheme. Things are different now than they were in the first eight games. So so I don't really buy that as much either. But yeah, they have to. It, it comes down to that. They have to depend on him, right, Nick? I mean, they like for them to be successful, he's going to have to play well. They clearly don't have much else behind them. I mean, look what the bench gives you on a night in, night out basis. You have no idea. So, unfortunately, that's where they are. They put all their they didn't put all their eggs in the Nick Batum basket, but they certainly made a large wager on them. And you know, it just hasn't worked out. But they, you have to almost will it into existence at this point. They have to play him. Do you, Do you think some of this? I mean, Batum's obviously playing terrible. I mean, but do you think some of this is like they signed him kind of with the feeling of okay? other players will start to develop, you know, over the next couple of years. And even if he, you know, even as he ages and declines, at least other guys around him will be playing well. So, he can, you know, maybe he can continue to be a distributor, find guys for shots. I mean, we've seen a bit of development no. from... No, they no, si- no, so? no, they signed him. <laughs> they signed him because they thought he would, he would, he was going to be the second best player on the team. Okay. What, what <laughs> happened, what happened is they, they, messed up on the Miles Plumley deal and they they turned that into Dwight Howard because they had to and then early in the season there was some conflict because you have to get more touches for Dwight because of who Dwight is and what he needs and, and that threw off I think the the balance that they had found on offense between Kimba Walker and Nick Batum and they're still trying to find that plus you add in the elbow injury yeah. like all of these circumstances have uh, come together uh, to to make a uh, what is what is quickly turning into a lost season for the Charlotte but, Hornets. Yep. I guess just real like I mean, kind of going to compare with Miami. I mean, like Miami is a sum of its parts. You know, they just they like they don't have any they don't have any stars. And I mean, the Hornets I guess have a closer thing to a star than the Heat do, but they're still I think a team that would be the most effective if you know, they just had various guys able to play consistently solid roles each night. And I know Matum should be. I know they want Batum to do more of that, but I just feel like if you had a team overall that, I mean, you look on the nights when they're playing best, when, when every guy scoring, every starter scores in double figures, when there's ball movement. I mean, Batum looks really good in the, on those nights, even if his stats end up being just like 13.7 rebounds, six assists. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you, I mean, 
if this team was actually playing more like the sum of its parts rather than just like, okay, are we going to get good Frank tonight? Are we going to get bad Frank tonight? Or, you know, just other players like that, you know, it, all of Batum's deficiencies, I guess, get more exposed because then he's back to trying, I don't know. It, uh, I've completely fleshed this out, but I think it would be, I think we would not be as upset with Batum if the team was playing just a little bit better as a oh, whole yeah. on more nights. All right, Hornets take on the Pacers tonight. David, what will you be watching for? Well, speaking of uh, losing late games, uh, the the Pacers have come back from 20 points down to win games three times this season, including their most recent game when they beat the Magic by, by two points. That doesn't bode well for the Hornets as a team who just cannot close anything out. And you got to think at this point, Guys, there is a mental aspect to it. Like when they see the momentum, especially on the road, start to build and you hit the crowd gets a little bit into it. Um, the Hornets have got to just be reaching for anything to uh, to pull out a win here. But I mean, that, that, that you know, and you've got the Lance factor. That'll be interesting uh, because Lance apparently only plays well when he plays for the Pacers. But man, he, he's playing pretty well this season. So. Doug, as as we've seen, it's just so dependent on, on what Charlotte does. I mean, it's so dependent on how the Hornets play. It's almost crazy how it doesn't matter the opponent these days. I mean, honestly, they're not getting blown out. They're in all of these games. We all know what they need to do to be successful. And when those things happen, they have a chance. Well, it does to an extent. I mean, they, they, they struggle to beat good teams. Uh, they beat they, they yeah. blew out Washington. Yeah. That's the only recent – uh, quality win a, that they have because that that Pistons that Pistons win now looks way worse because the Pistons are spiraling down the standings they they can't really catch a break either. What's interesting to me about this matchup and to a larger extent the Hornets is that the Pacers are 12th in points this season. The the Hornets are 13th in points per game. Yet the Pacers are 4th in field goal percentage and 5th in three-point percentage while the Hornets are 27th and 20th respectively. Yeah. So the, yeah. the teams are scoring the same amount of points, but the Hornets can't shoot and and the Pacers can shoot. The Hornets are surviving because of Dwight Howard and MKG derived second chance points and a volume of free throw attempts yeah. because they are 27th in percentage of free throw attempts. For the difference. Yeah. The but difference the, but there's get. just the volume of, of free throw shots that they're shooting. So they're the they work the hardest for those for that that thirteenth place in points per game this season, and the Pacers they they shoot the basketball very good. They've got uh, Collison Oladipo. They're both north of forty from three. They have forwards and centers who can all knock them down. They can go five out. They can space you out. They can't really defend penetration. So again, I mean, a lot of this is going to land on Kimball Walker, his ability to get into the paint and cause problems for a Pacers defense that allowed seventy plus points in the first half to the Orlando Magic before making a 21-point comeback to win that basketball game. And a lot of that had to do with Lance Stevenson, as you said. He has just been a spark off their bench. Crazy. Probably won't see a lot of Al Jefferson tonight because Miles Turner is back in the lineup, but he played well uh, for the Pacers. But he's just buried because they've got Sabonis, they've got Miles Turner, and, and they're going to look to those younger guys, the guys who can space the floor. It's sort of Jefferson – is he slimmed down? He's improved, uh, but at the same time, 
you know, he's just he's got that old school game, and and the Pacers want to space you out on offense, and Sabonis and Miles Turner give them the best opportunity to do that. So this uh, should be an interesting game for the Hornets. I want to go back to the chat. Lamont here uh, commenting on my thoughts on Nick Batum, saying, your theory would be fine if Batum performed well last year without Dwight, but he didn't really. Well, in terms of his mm-hmm. in terms of his points, assists, rebounds, they they were pretty much equal to what he did in his his first season. the The problem was his efficiency, and that's why he, his shooting was was a problem because he he just shot more and didn't make as many, and that's why he stayed in Charlotte as opposed to going to France to play for the the international team. He wanted to focus on his NBA game. That was the plan. And then the Hornets acquired Dwight Howard. And I think the plan – and then and then his elbow got injured, so he couldn't really develop a relationship with uh, Dwight Howard, an on-court relationship that allowed both of those guys to succeed at the same time. And they're still trying to figure that out. That's my point. I'm not making an excuse for Nick Batum. He's got to shoot the basketball better. That's that's not a question. What I'm saying is there are several circumstances that are that have led the Hornets to where they are today that have led Nick Batum to where he is today – and, and you have to, when you look back on this season, when we do look back on this season, we have to take those into account. But I'm not making excuses for anyone on this team that's not shooting the basketball well. They have to do that. All right. Nick, final thoughts on this Hornets-Pacers game as we close the show out. Well, uh, one thing that I, that tends to happen every every time or just every night it seems is there's always one guy that you know we always focus on the stars, the guys that we know you know are going to be more the, the go-to players for every team. But there's always one guy that tends to um, just damage the Hornets that you know is not necessarily an every night guy. And you look at the Pacers and they have you know outside of Oladipo, Oladipo they have five other guys that average in double figures. Um, and I'm just curious to see which one of those guys just has you know goes off and has a big night. Is it Sabonis? Is it, um, is it Darren Carlson? Um, you know, is it Thaddeus Young? These are guys that are capable of scoring 20 plus points a game on a, on a, on occasional nights. And I'd just be curious to see, you know, do like when the Hornets, you know, try to contain Oladipo or try to contain Miles Turner. Um, is it, does it end up being another guy that punishes them? Um, I am curious though, if, if they can maybe exploit the size a little bit. I mean, Miles Turner's, you know, obviously they're, they're starting center and he's a very good player, but, you know, him and Sabonis are kind of really all only they're only two big guys, and, and neither of them have the size to match really uh, Dwight Howard. So I'd be curious to see, um, you know, do they try to work Howard in a little bit more? Do they go to him a little bit more often um, and uh, try to exploit that um, that potential size mismatch? Yeah, it's been interesting to see Nick Batum and Dwight Howard. Speaking of their relationship, it seems to be getting better. Uh, they're, yeah. they're hitting this, they're, or they're working on hitting this uh, move that you saw Dwight Howard do a lot in Atlanta, where he he gets the guy kind of on his his right hip and then makes that spin move back towards the basket and gets it lofted up there for him for the dunk. And Nick Batum and and Dwight Howard trying to execute that play. It wasn't as successful against Miami, but they hit it a few times against Sacramento, Detroit, uh, and, and and Washington too. So. You know, again, it's a lot of this is timing. You know, the 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 season is is winding down at this point. I mean, thirty games remaining, and and they've got a lot of work to do. So uh, the, the the Hornets have to, as as Dwight Howard said, uh, they have to let go of some of the way is let go of some of these losses. Make sure they're moving on to the next game, and and they've got another chance for a quality win against the Indiana Pacers. 
Uh, tip off at 7 o'clock p.m. We'll be watching this one. Uh, so uh, tweet us at Locked On Hornets and uh, follow us on Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Thanks so much for listening to this edition here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, whatever you use to get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to Buzz Buzz at LockedOnHornets.com. Thanks so much to everyone on the Nest chatting us here on YouTube.com forward slash Locked On Hornets. For David and Nick, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.